Hi there, and welcome to the Talks at Google podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Mistral, and I'll be bringing you this week's episode. For those of you who are new to us, Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode of this podcast is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. Boys to Men remains one of the most truly iconic R&B groups in music history. The trio, which includes Nathan Morris, Wanya Morris, and Sean Stockman, holds the distinction of being the best-selling R&B group of all time, with an astounding 60 million albums sold, four Grammy Awards, nine American Music Awards, nine Soul Train Awards, three Billboard Awards, a 2011 MOBO Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, as well as a Casino Entertainment Award for their acclaimed residency at the Mirage Resort and Casino in Las Vegas which has been ongoing since 2013. In this talk, Nathan, Wanya, and Sean discuss their rise to fame, how they've persevered through challenges along the way, and the secret to their partnership remaining so strong after an incredible 27 years in the limelight. Moderated by Valicia Butterfield-Jones, here's Boys to Men, three decades of R&B hits. This guy. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello. How are you? Hello, 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 hello in the back. How are you? So, guys, uh, first we want to give you a big welcome to Google. I can honestly say that I'm sitting here, and I would imagine that many of us are because of the true impact that you've had in our lives, in our careers, uh, by just seeing the example that you made across the globe uh, as far as representation. So, first, just want to kick it off to you on who is Boys the Men? Like, where are you today? <laughs> what makes you tick? Man. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, go. 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 Well, um, honestly, uh, Boys to Men, uh, uh, we represent uh, music, real music. Um, we try our best to uh, maintain the integrity of music throughout our, our careers. We um, went to the high school for creative and performing arts, and we, that's what we went to school for. You know, I, ba- I barely got out of it. <laughs> barely got out of school just because all I wanted to do was sing with these guys. And, um, you know, uh, going to being um, uh, choir majors, you know, vocal choir majors, we actually, you know, would be around each other. So we, we kind of formulated somewhat of a, of a, a place where we belong vocally uh, without knowing that we were going to sing together. And um, once we decided to get in the room, and, and uh, Nate will probably tell you the story on how it all came about, but um, once we got into a room and actually started singing, um, harmonies. Uh, it, it was something that you know we couldn't let go of. It was almost like a, a drug. It was like a, a high. It was like the best sex that you ever had. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> honestly, I mean. But that's what. But that's what harmony does. You know what I mean? When you when you're creating it, like we often say, you know, uh, music comes out of our throats. You know what I'm saying? And it 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 comes together and. And, and it becomes something so magical that you can't forget and you always want and you chasing that that actual perfect harmony and um boys to men we we are we are music and that's how we feel about it basically we're you know harmony crackheads is that yeah, what you're harmony crackheads all right thank you so talk to us a little bit about the journey uh, we always see I, I always give the example of Instagram it's like the highlight reel right but we all know that to get and reach your level of success, there had to be some hardship. So curious to know, you know, if you could share with us some of the struggles that you're comfortable with sharing so we too can kind of navigate uh, those moments in our life. Well, um, 
Uh, we actually uh, we started as a as a group that you know now in uh, I say ninety ninety one ish that the world knows. And um, you know, obviously coming out of high school, we we jumped out pretty fast. Things went very well for us, and success was great. And uh, the first three or four years went very well, and then things kind of got a little fishy. Us being young, learning the industry, you know, as teenagers, uh, not quite soaking in all the information that we probably needed to soak in, and you know, not knowing enough about the business to know that unfortunately the music industry was built on the shoulders of mobsters and people like that who weren't 100% honest. You know, we coming from Philadelphia, being taught to whatever you work for, you get like that. Um, <clears throat> we coming from Philly, being taught that when you work hard, you know, you win. And then you get into a business that kind of flips it on you that, you know, when you work hard, you know, things don't always pan out. So make a long story short, things didn't always go well for us in the middle of our career, kind of dipped down. And um, we kind of only had ourselves as a group to rely on because everyone else around us, we started to realize were strictly around us to either better themselves or make more money or not give us enough information for us to move forward. So um, we kind of fell on each other's shoulders to try to figure out how to fight through it. I mean, obviously you guys see there's one member missing from the original group. Uh, that was one of the hardships that we kind of went through. Uh, something that we were able to bounce back from. And um, we we all grew up together. We talk about it now that 27 years in, we've probably spent more time on the road with each other than we've spent with our own family. So we're kind of closer than we are even to some of our family members. So for our guy to leave in the way that that thing went down for us, it was, it was a little difficult. But um, <clears throat> we knew, like Juan said, that all we ever wanted to do was sing and make great music. And we weren't going to let, you know, one person stop that show. Um, and again, to try to narrow it down, because I know we all want to talk, um, there's always hardships. And um, I think the key is figuring out where you want to be and how you dig out the place that you're in. I'm a big believer in uh, trying your best to control what you can control and don't stress out about the things that you can't control. And we kind of took that moniker as things weren't going well to just do what we could do and let everything else fall where, where it went. And 27 years later, we're still able to be successful at what we're doing. Amazing. Yes. As we sit here on the Google campus, surrounded by a room of innovators, curious to know, you know, we see where you are now and the 27-year huge career that you've had, but curious to know about the breakthrough. Like, what was the moment that you knew, wow, this thing is big. This thing is really working, and it's time for us to scale. Wow. I it's hard to pinpoint a defining moment because I lie to you not. Like we got together um, sometime in nineteen what eighty nine, and six months later we were discovered. Wow! And then a year later, you know, we put out our first record, and then it just went shoo. Like it was, it was really just one of those things where it was, it had to be kismet because it was just, it was just one of those things where everything just kind of happened like the, the stars completely aligned for us so i would say from okay i'll, I'll say one uh moment we call it the magic show oh, yeah. it was uh it was february of 1989 <laughs> valentine's day valentine's day right i like to tell this story mainly because i think out of everybody in the group it affected me the most because I was kind of the introvert, geek, nerd dude. You know, I was probably one of the only black dudes that listened to metal music and read, read comic read books. Read comic books. 
hung out with Devil Hiring. Wilson. I did yeah. not hang out with Devil Wilson. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But so I joined this group. Um, we put together this this group uh, this show for a talent show um, that you know like a like an assembly show like that we have every year. And you know we went with to school with guys like the Roots and people like that. So let me tell you something. Our talent shows were worth the price of yeah. admission. <laughs> Like we had some of the baddest musicians, singers, like, in in the country. So anyway, um, so the curtains are drawn open. We're standing there in these like sequins jackets. No, no, white white jackets. Oh, white jackets with these black pleather shoes and the whole nine. Now, mind you, we've gone to this school for a few years. Some of us, yeah. And um, kids, they've seen us around. You know, no big deal. When they draw, when they open the curtain. The girl screamed like we were new edition. And so much so, so no, really, so much they were falling out the chair. But we didn't we didn't we didn't sing a note. And the principal had to, hey, you guys stop and all this other stuff. So we're standing there in our little poses. Still standing there. Right? While the principal is talking, I'm like, damn, was she just hurry the hell up? I got sparkles in my hand. Like we we had like we had a whole routine. To make a long story short, we did the show. The next day, again, I was an introvert. Nobody knew me. The next day, I go to my locker. Hey Sean, hey Sean, Sean, hey Sean, Sean, hey Sean, what up, dog? Like, and it it like screwed with me a little bit because I was like, wait a minute. Overnight. Overnight, literally. So it was one of those things where I was like, wow, this is something special. And this was before we even got discovered. So even then, I felt like this was something of some other plane spiritually. Like this was just some other uh, entity. And, and honestly, not trying to make it melodramatic, but that's really what it was. Like, so to define it, I guess that was the defining moment. Like I knew from that point that I wanted to be a singer in this group. Sean, real quick, tell them the story about when they dressed up, when you guys dressed up in bow ties and that whole concept, and you uh, thought... They could tell that story. And it was a little ridiculous. And all, right, all right, here, all right, I'll set it up. I'll set it up. All right, so, so yeah. when we got discovered, and Michael Bivens of New Edition discovered us, and we got the deal, records done, went to the photo shoot, and we yeah, it was the first one was bad because we we kind of looked like everybody else. We had the baseball caps and the Parker jackets and the Timberland boots and things of that nature. And Bib had the vision. He was like, you know, that that just ain't them. He had a kind of a vision, but go ahead. Yeah, no, well, you know, it was a work in progress. But he was like, see what y'all want y'all to do, right? Like we because we we were, we were going to do this uh this showcase for Motown Records in Los Angeles. So he had an idea in the to, office in in the offices of, of Motown. So well, get him to get him to underlayment too. The thing in, in the music industry mm. period is that whether you have good music or whatever, you always have to have some kind of gimmick or I don't, I don't like to say gimmick or some kind of identity or something that separates you from everybody else in order for you to be successful. And after we finished our, finished our first album, they really had no identity. They had us singing harmonies in an era that groups weren't really doing that, doing acapella stuff that groups weren't really doing. So they couldn't figure out an image for the group. So Mike came up with this brilliant plan. Go, Sean. Right. 
So he he took us to the mall. Nope, nope, nope. No, what, what? No, nope, nope, no. No, what happened? What happened? What? He said, after he told us. He told us to go, go to, the to the mall. Oh, right, right. Go to the mall, right. Buy right. Some he, sw- he said, buy some sweaters. It ain't got to match. Ties, Nothing ain't got to match. Get some jeans. Well, what, what color should we? Don't worry about it. Nothing has to match. Just go grab bow ties, sweaters. Yeah. Colors, yeah. pastels, the whole nine. So we so, bought this stuff. We put it on. We were walking down Sunday. No, 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 no. I'm trying to give yeah, him the yeah, short. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to give yeah, the yeah, short yeah, abridged yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, he's walking. Like, so we're walking on down Sunset to this place called Pink Dot. Where and Wanya's like, comment stuff. to me was, what? Oh, man. People are looking at us, man. These outfits must really work. I said, nah, dude. They're looking at us because we look like assholes. <laughs> We we we, we, we look, oh well, it, it was horrible it was horrible so like lifesavers so so oh, man. yeah it, like no for real for real it was awful so all right so we get our sandwiches we get laughed at by the passersby on sunset laughing and whatnot it was hilarious so we go to the office in Motown they start laughing right <laughs> laughing first, like, time, they ever first saw. time they ever saw us and they like what the hell are the like like just crazy so we start dancing we start singing yeah yeah and all that and uh, in the office. In the office, in the small little section, we gave it our South Park best, and after that, we left. And I mean, it was like kind of like the president of a Motown called uh, Mike Bivens and told him that you got to figure this out. This is right. not working. So then the call was made to go to the mall. Uh, yeah. So then Mike, right. took Mike us called. To the mall. He took us. Yeah, he took us to the mall, and he got us these outfits that matched the sweaters. Matched. Right, that matched the sweaters that you see in Motown Philly. That was the the shopping mall. The ones right, that are right. on the cover, those white sweaters, those red bow ties, and the hats of the the second. He looked this up because we had we had outfits to wear on shows and everything. So you know we understood what the Alex Vanderpool because that's what it was called at the time. Uh, <laughs> we understood what the Alex Vanderpool concept was once he took us to the mall and hooked us up and uh yeah. You know, but it went through a really bad stage. It's like like the ugly teenage stage where you yeah. don't know what you're supposed to do. That was, oh man, that was like, us. It was awful, but it was good times. So, so I'm curious <laughs> to know now. You look back at how you began and the grind, the grit that was required through those stages, and now seeing the huge role that technology is playing in the music industry, and you're seeing people get discovered on YouTube and on Instagram, wondering. Your thoughts on instant, or what appears to be instant success? At first, we used to frown down upon it, but we realized that you can't really change the times. Um, one thing I will say is that, no offense to the millennials, but our parents always tell us this too, but we know that if we were able to have that type of technology when we started, because we were taught to use our imagination early where a lot of kids today don't, you know, if they don't push the button, it doesn't come up. You know, we were trapped in our room by ourselves with a stick and a horse head on it and we thought we were a knight. (laughs) So if we had the technology that we had back then with the imagination that we had, this music industry would be off the charts right now. Well, the the one thing as as well, you know, uh, when it comes to the technology aspect of it, I mean, if it's utilized right, it can actually create you know, uh, uh, a growth pattern. I mean, people will see you grow, but everybody's a star right away, you know what I mean? Um, because it's so put out there to be this type of way, you know, got this gold chain and his hat to the back and, you know, Kiki, do you love me? You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? 
So now every 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 everybody's everybody's trying to trying to create what's already been created. You know what I mean? And and it doesn't help uh, uh, the, the the imagination to become something more, something better. And longe longevity doesn't you know doesn't thrive through certain circumstances like that. You have to become something. In, in the beginning for people to see you grow to something which will create longevity. And um, that's kind of like, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, the boys to men effect. I remember, you know, coming to places like, let's just say Google, for instance, it wasn't Google back then, of course. Um, there was no internet, you know what I mean? There was no emails, there was no Wi-Fi. Hey, so stop we, dating us, dude. <laughs> so we actually, we actually had to go to these radio stations. We actually had to shake hands. We had to go to the, the, the distribution companies. We had to actually show that we were able to do what they saw and heard that we were doing on these records. And, and we, we went everywhere. We cultivated enough of the world that after 20, 27 years later, people can still say today that boys to men are real you know what i mean so there's no technology it was just basically organic the purity of of of, of music of our vocals and uh, nowadays uh if people don't utilize it in a in a manner of um to to build themselves they're going to be here today and gone today and that's normally what what's ha what happens with technology and i feel bad because you know there are some very talented individuals out there they just are jaded by the the concept of where to start and I, I think the information age helps. I think that's how the, 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 when you do the comparison, why it's, it's, it, it's easier to attain the avenue to become successful, but it's a lot harder to become successful because, because of the information age and it being saturated with, with just everything. What I mean by that is, you know, years ago when we came out, you only heard about the artists that you heard. Like, you didn't have access to every single person on the planet. In other words, you only knew 50 talented singers in your life. Now you go on the internet, there's millions of them. So it's kind of watered down to the point where it's not even so much about the talent, it's just way too many people to let them all be successful. I mean, we were at a time where, and I hate to date us, but you know, we had three major channels, you know what I'm saying? So if you watch those three channels, that's whatever you got, you got from there. Now that, now, that there's 10, TV. now that there's 10 billion channels, it's kind of watered down where everyone's attention. Does anybody know what he's talking about? Okay, as long as we're not the only ones. But um, we just have your pliers, but anyway. Um, you know, it's so watered down to where, and then Juan and I was talking about this the other day, that you'll hear someone who's absolutely incredible, but now that you have access to 10,000 people who are incredible, how special are they really? Years ago, we didn't have access. There was always somebody over here that was better than Boys to Man, always somebody that was better than Mariah Carey, but you didn't know about them. But now that you have connections to see and, and be entertained by all these people, it, it makes it tougher for people who are really, really talented to be successful because there's so many that you can get to. So since we're dating ourselves, I might as well just go for it. Um, All right. I turned 40 this year. Nice. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And 40 is really sexy, Welcome to the hill. Sexy, Welcome to the, hill. The, Welcome to the 40 club. It feels good. It feels We call good. it the hill. Oh. It's the bottom of the hill before you get Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I embrace the hill then. Um, and, and I started my career in the music industry. 
for 10 years and saw music companies shutting down. We know many of them. Tower Records shutting down and the industry kind of crumbling around us. And I got out. I was afraid. And I said, you know, my livelihood is attached to this business. And if I don't pivot now, I'm going to sink with it. That's how I felt at the time. Looking back, my question to you is, how have you been able to have longevity and rebrand and even Mm -hmm. reposition yourself in such a changing, evolving climate? Well, you know, honestly, um, uh, it it, it was hard. It was very hard. Simply because, you know, we started off, our career was here, you know, and, you know, we were doing so well. And, you know, we felt like at that time, you know, uh, when the music industry was changing that we could actually, you know, take a couple of years off, you know, just relax a little bit, enjoy the, you know, the success. And, and when we did that, the music industry changed dramatically and we came back and it was like, where the hell is the music? And, um, you know, we actually went through a, a phase where we, we actually went searching for, like, you know, where the love was, I guess we used to call it. And we would go, you know, and do shows and and, and things like that, and it just wasn't as, as you know, it wasn't as great as it, as it you know, where we would go overseas and, of course, and be huge and be, you know, amazing, but we live in America, so we wanted love where we were. And, um, you know, we actually, you know, took a... A, a bit of a nosedive, you know what I mean? I guess you could say. And um, during that time, it was very humbling. It was very humbling because we didn't know exactly what to do. We would actually sit home and wait for the big dates, you know what I mean? Which would come, but they were far and few between. And um, we had to, like you said, you know, uh, rebrand ourselves. We had to re reface ourselves. And honestly, that's uh, around the time when we met uh, our manager now, Mr. Joe Moverhill. And uh, he, he put together a bit of a team. And, and those te- that team basically sat down with us and said, you know, how hard are you are you willing to work to get to a certain place? You know what I mean? You know, this is going to be very humbling. This is going to be humiliating to a certain extent because you went out from selling 500000 five making 500000 a night at Madison Square Garden on New Year's, you know what I mean, to now performing in places that you're not going to feel too good about. But it's going to be a whole lot of shows, you know what I mean? It was, it was like dog and pony shows. And, um, you know, they put this schedule together and... Uh, you know, and it's been a, it was a schedule for how long was that schedule? Uh, for the first one? Yeah, talking about the first one? Yeah. <laughs> Probably six weeks, maybe. The first, yeah. the one when you want to kill me? Yeah. So yeah, the first one. one. That was six weeks. Yeah, and um, and we did these shows, and I'm telling you, you 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 go from performing at theaters and arenas to performing at a place called Puffer Bellies. You know what I mean? Does anybody know Puffer Bellies? It's in the Ham uh, in Cape Cod. No, no. Well, they're all going to yeah. tell you about uh, the firehouse and how much of an yeah, asshole yeah, I am. Yeah, they're going to yeah, tell you that. Yeah. Like, these, these, these places were like, you know, I mean, you could say maybe 500 capacity, and it was like 50 people there, and you know, we we actually like like we looked at each other literally and was like, holy shit, like what's what's what is happening to us? Like, what well, what are we doing? Like, you know, and honestly, I, I say it all the time. You know, we. Throughout this time, this humbling period, you know, we 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 broke up like five times, you know, but but it was five minutes each time, you know. Honestly, because uh, Nick can continue on. Well, no, no, I mean, I I mean, it, he's one hundred percent correct. It, it it took a lot for us to really wrap our head around changing gears, as you said. And what we were able to do was a lot of people don't know all the history of our group. They know that we 
sing. We've got some so-called pretty good records. And, um, well, I just, I ain't going to say they're all good. But, um, you know, we, we make records. But a lot of people don't know that a lot of our career was spent grinding, learning how to be performers. A lot of people don't understand that. They've seen the videos of Motown Philly, and, and then they see Into the Road, and we kind of walk around and don't do much. So... Being honest, so hypothetically, if you were ever to hear about a Boys and Men concert, you have no idea what to expect because all you see us do is walk around in, in videos. So, so my point, so my point being is that <laughs> exactly important. that's it. That was it. So, so my so my point being that because people didn't know that about us. Uh, we were able to use it to our advantage, as you like when you said, figure out the music industry changing. What are we going to do? Are we going to jump ship or do whatever? So what we were able to do is, I guess you say, lean more towards being a performing group versus a recording group because there was not a lot of money in it for us anymore because people were stealing records. They weren't paying publishing correctly even to today. So we were able to transcend and start that circuit that Juan was talking about getting back out on the road performing and, and becoming a performing group to where, you know, it's one of the only forms of music that people still can't take from you now. They can't copy it. They can't steal it. They can't do anything about it. They have to come to the concert to see a live performance. We get some, uh, I don't want to name any networks or whatever, oh, well, let's come to Vegas and we want to, you know, tape your show. And we're like, no, we're not letting anybody tape anything live that we have because it's all we got left. You know, when you make a record and you put it out, Instantly, the whole world gets it, and after that, it's, it's pretty much stolen, gone, or whatever, so we don't control it. This is the only thing that we can control. So again, like I said, we were able to switch gears and realize that in this day and age for us, performing is the key because it's the only thing that we have sacred that we can offer to our fan base that you just can't go on the internet and get. But to get to that point, we went through a lot. You know, we went through a lot. I mean, uh, like I was, I was uh, saying, we we performed in this place called what was the firehouse? Firehouse. The firehouse, and uh, you know, like I said, it was like you know, five hundred capacity. Um, and you know, we walked into this place, and it's a mechanic. It was five hundred capacity. That didn't mean that that's how many. That, that's how that done. I'm telling you, there wasn't five hundred people there. You know, we walked in a place, and there's a mechanical bull in the middle of the floor. <laughs> And I didn't know if we was about to recreate the pony video, or, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or not. But, you know, we walked in this place, and there's a mechanical bull, you know, the stage. The stage got a pole in front of it, and, and I'm like, is this a strip There's a Coors Light. There's a Coors Light <laughs> a, uh, yeah, over a bill, over billiard is your lights. Like, like oh. seriously. And, um, and we get there. It's like, you know. It was literally fifty people showed up, and Joe wasn't there. Just and so Joe, no, know. he was at. He was, oh no, you was no, there for that one. He was our was. manager. He was. And I thought, oh, hold on, I thought I was going to be fired because when they were Close. singing, yeah, thanks. When they were singing um, "End of the Road," there was a there was a woman on the bull. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they looked yeah. at me like, really, dude. And 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 it, it was crazy because you know. And this is why why I love I love my fellas, you know what I mean? Because we 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 share the same veracity when it comes to what we do, you know what I'm saying? Um it was fifty people there and you would have thought that it was five thousand because we sang each song the way that we've always learned how to sing everything. The, way we know how. the only way we know how is to go a hundred and twenty percent. And as time progressed throughout those those months and months and years of, of performing at these crazy, crazy places, 
you know, the, the numbers started building again. You know what I mean? From 50 to, you know, 100 to maybe like 500 and then 5,000. And then we did the U.S. Open. We sang the national anthem at the U.S. God Open. God bless America. God bless America. Yeah, no, we switched it. Didn't we flip it? We did maybe America. Did both. Yeah, we did both. We bit we did both. And and from that point, I guess, you know, like Joe said, you know, the 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 key is is to get corporate America to, you know, to believe in the brand again. And once we did that, it started, you know, building and building, but it took a very long time. And honestly, I remember being on a, a boat, a cruise, looking at each other like, Man, this is it. This after this, we we out. I remember remember in the van, went in the van. I was like, Sean was like, if this out, I don't want to do this no more. I said, I don't want to do this shit no more. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? We done. Let's just quit it. And then we got to the room and you know, Nate came to the room and he was like, Look, man, this is this is us. This is all we got. And Sean, we all just was like, Yeah, you're right, bro. You know what I mean? This <laughs> this is all we got for real, you know what I mean? Where the hell you know? am I going? Yep, CMB. You know what I'm saying? We are our brother's keeper. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was it was one of those things that you know it it brought us closer. You know, we we uh, one member was gone, but it brought us closer. It showed us that we were, you know, we were the 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 last of the Mohicans, and and we had to you know we had to maintain that integrity. You know, er- everybody sees uh, like in sports, LeBron James. You see him when he performs on the court. You don't see the other 22 hours what he puts in to get what you see on TV. And, and what I learned when I met them was the personalities and the dynamics. Some of you probably are surprised how funny they are and how goofy they are and how they, and then when I saw that, I was like, I said, uh, we need the world to see that. We all know End of the Road. We all know Motown Philly. We all know that. And those are going to be hits for the rest of your life. But how do you get people to get to know you? Not just, oh yeah, I know that guy. They didn't know Juan's name. They didn't know Sean's name. I mean, they did, but Nobody knew their personalities behind it. So the theory was, if we just get them out. Now, I wasn't anticipating a bull. I wasn't anticipating puffer bellies, um, all those other things. You but, booked it. What do you mean you wasn't? Well, I didn't, re- <laughs> I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that those were... You know what, dude? I didn't realize, okay? <laughs> so, so what we learned from a business standpoint, and because you guys are innovators and thinkers, the thought process behind it was if we grind it out long enough eventually because i know what i like and i think other people like what i like for the most part you get you got good attitudes you guys are good people you have unbelievable songs let's just see where this can kind of take us and slowly but and juan's right it was a very slow process i was questioning myself a hundred times like why are you putting them through this like i was fans that's why i even decided to do it i was a fan way before janet jackson the super bowl I was working for the Super Bowl at the time. Janet Jackson's thing came out. And right after that, I got a phone call to go to Japan and meet Boys to Men because they were about to fire your existing manager, I believe. And when I went out there, I saw one show, and I was like, okay, there's a real business here. I mean, a real business. And I sat down and said, guys, there's something real here. This is what I think. And well, he time- road managers for a long time at first. That's when he Correct. booked the puffer bellies and the, uh, and the mechanical bull. And then um, we, like you said, we were in the process of looking for another manager. And because we've gone through so much, we've gone through a lot in this business. And again, one thing about this group when it comes to people that we meet and and we grow a liking to, we become very, very attached and very, very loyal, no matter, almost to a fault. And it's kind of put us in spots where, you know, we, our loyalty outweighed what someone else was doing to us and kind of put us in bad situations. So, you know, with Joe coming along, um, we, we were already kind of 
you know, bruised kids from a lot of different things happening. So we really kind of had to play it back a little bit and kind of see what we felt he could give us. And um, and we, 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 we played it for a while. We made him run around a lot. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we did stupid stuff to just see if he'd do it, and he did it. Um, I mean, you know. You made me change my shoes. Yeah, he used to come around, you know, us with these beat-up puma white shoes that looked like he was kicking rocks. And um, we had like, to tell dude, him you're that. hanging with black people. You can't yeah, have can't, those yeah. crusty shoes. Can't have no crusty like... shoes. So now he's, his, his shoe game is all switched up now. So he's, you know, he, he's got that fresh party. He still like to wear swag a lot. You know what I'm saying? We got to still get him out of free stuff. He, you know, somebody, you know, give him free stuff on the golf course. He'll come to a meeting with that shit. And we had to tell him, can't wear that. So we're still working on him. But the funny thing is... Um, we were, uh, I know there was a situation where, this is right before we hired him, we, um, I used to play the, uh, John Madden NFL football a lot. And um, at the day, it just came out and I just bought the game. We were on the road doing some shows. And uh, we were going to this hotel that night and while we were doing press all day, I was all excited to get to my room and play the game. I was talking about it all day. And I got to the room and they had one of those old TVs that you couldn't really plug the new HDMI into. So I was pissed for like an hour. And then Joe called me, give me the schedule for the next day. He's like, yo, so you got everything? I said, yeah, dude, but I'm pissed off. I was trying to play my game. He's like, whoa, 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 what's wrong? I said, the TV's jacked up. I called downstairs, see if they had a monitor. I know they got one. They're holding it from me. They won't give it to me. So he's like, oh, hold on for a second. Give me like 20 minutes. So I get a knock on the door. Somebody brings a brand new TV, flat screen TV in my room. And I'm like, I call him. I'm like, dude, somebody, what am I doing with this? He said, dude, just, just over the TV, play the game tonight. Just don't throw away the box. So I'm like, all right. So I still, I still. They're all thinking, damn, that's smart. So now, no, so, but these, these are, and then what's funny is that these are the things that, you know, always click in my mind because this is someone who thinks outside the box. And that, and, and, as, a, and as a manager. Figuratively speaking. Literally. And, and, yeah, and literally that, that, you know, that's what managers need in, in this business to be able to kind of go around and maneuver without making the artist look, you know, bad. So I play a game all night and then um, put the TV back in the box. We go downstairs and we're flying to the next city because I'm saying I'm flying to Miami and I'm like, okay, well, I said, what do I do with the TV? Just bring it downstairs. We're going to put it on in the van and take it to the airport. So take it to the airport and do what? So make a long story short, not only did he take the TV back to the store, he bought it in the city we were in, flew to Miami, and took it back to Walmart in the other city. So right away for me, I was like, that's the kind of thinker that we need on our team that can help us yeah, do what we need to do. Ain't nothing to see. A hustler is a hustler. But when you got a white boy hustler, man, you know? It's the funny, I mean, and uh, you know, not to make this a Joe, a, a Joe, a Joe Moverhill situation, but um, I remember we were uh, on the plane. You know what I mean? Well, no, we were on the train. We were on the train in Japan. I didn't know him. I didn't. I didn't give him that as much time as everybody else did. You know, I, I, I ain't like trust people too much. You know what I'm saying? I like people. I love them. You know what I mean? But I didn't trust people too much. And um. I was sitting there next to him. He was like looking at me. We, we this probably like maybe like the second time we might have talked. And he looked at me, and I'm sitting there, you know, eating my peanuts and stuff, you know. And he said, uh, "You don't like me, do you?" <laughs> and I was like, "I don't know you." You know what I mean? He was like, "I mean, I said I, I know you. You know, I know I know what you're about. What, what am I? What am I about?" I said, "You're an opportunist, right?" And he was like. I lost my 
he lost his mind. And I was like looking at him like, what's the matter with this white boy? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I said, dude, I said, listen. I said, don't you're taking it the wrong way, bro. I said, you're an opportunist, which means that you look for opportunities. You know, and these opportunities benefit you. I said, and as these opportunities, opportunities benefit you, because you're working with us, that opportunity is going to benefit us. I said, so I'm glad you're an opportunist because we haven't had anybody around who were looking for opportunities for us. I said, you see something in us and you see there's an opportunity. I said, so use us. Exact exact words. Exact words. That was a quote. Exact words. That was a quote. End quote. End quote. End quote. You know what I'm saying? Close. No offense. That's what we say when that's our homeboy now. He's our homeboy now. Close that quote down. Go. Yeah. All right, so we are going to turn it over for yeah, questions. Now that yeah. we just hit the end quote. <laughs> uh, if you do have a question, please line up at the mic, and I will ask my last question as you guys think about what you want to ask. So let's get started. Um, I'll close out this portion of the panel by saying that Oprah had a video that went viral a couple days ago that said, young people right now are focused too much on building their brand instead of the quality of their work. Uh the craft, right? So for those of us in the audience who have a side hustle or who may be interested in starting a business or whatever it is that you are innovating right now, what advice and what order would you give uh, with that notion? You go. Um, I'll say this. I, I, I'll, I'll say a quick story. I got a 15-year-old at, at home, right? And he put me on game as far as like how kids nowadays like kind of like with the opposite sex or somebody that they like, you know, communicate with each other. And they do almost everything through text, right? That's how they ask for a person's phone number. I don't know how they get the number. It's, I don't know. But, you know, and, and that's how they ask for dates, movies, the whole nine yards. And I asked my son, I was like, so when do you talk to him? You know, and he's like, well, we don't really, t you know, we go to the movies and that's it. I was like, that's it? I was like, you know, you're skipping a few steps, right? So it kind of correlates to what you're saying as far as like, it's cool to create this, you know, facade of who you might be or what you are and things of that nature. But there's still an organics to it that you, you, know, you still have to apply. You still have to talk to the girl. You have to ask her what she likes. You have to like, you have to be in her face and have what's called a conversation, like, and, and things of that nature. Like, right, whatever. <laughs> you know, you have to find out all of those things in order for you to really like or dislike this person. I think that with social media, it's, it's a great tool. But again, I think a lot of kids are skipping steps. They're, they are taking it for face value, if I look like this, if I sound like this, if I act like this, then I'm going to be successful. And they never really take the time to put in the organic work to actually be the person that you're perceiving yourself to be. And that takes the work. Like Joe mentioned about LeBron James, like he just didn't, he just doesn't get up and play the way that he does. He practices hard every day with my group. We just don't go out there and sing songs. We practice, we rehearse. We've done this time and time and time again. And that quality comes with that. You have to put in those, I guess, what's that theory? If you put 10,000 hours into something, then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that guarantees that you don't become something that fizzles out you know, very soon after. So you have to put in that organic time. 
And I think as far as the the brand building, I believe that the key the key to it all is 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 service. Um, a lot of people, like you said, they tend to focus today on building the brand, but now I know a brand, but I know a brand for giving me shitty service. Uh, one thing that we've known throughout history, we know what type of shoes Nike makes. We know, you know, what Google offers. We don't, those brands have cemented, uh, uh, I guess you say, a form of quality that you know when you add it to that name, you're not really contemplating what you're going to get because you already know. So to your point, yeah, there are a lot of people out there now who are so-called on their hustle and want to build their brand. But if your brand doesn't rep represent any type of quality service, then you, all you really have is a brand, a you brand with a bad reputation. And you get exposed. So don't eventually, skip, don't eventually. skip, yeah, so don't skip the steps. <laughs> that would be the, the, the main point of this whole thing. And real quick, to the point, the grinding it out with Puffer Bellies and the Mechanical Bull and all that was their second stage of their career yeah. doing all the groundwork to not only work out jokes, how they communicate. You know, we did an event in Atlanta, the 100 Black Men event. I was the only a white guy there. We literally got on the plane, flew to Orlando, Florida for Arnold Palmer, the golfer. Everybody knows the golfer, Arnold Palmer. And they were the only black guys there. And we looked at each other and said, how crazy is this that you guys can yeah. resignate yeah. amongst anyone, all of color, doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter. And how did that happen? I really think the grind, yeah. the humbleness, because you got to remember, they were kids making millions of dollars. Everybody loved them. They were the greatest thing in the world to nobody cared. They lived through Nirvana era. They lived through the hip-hop era. They lived through the boy band era. They lived now the trap rapping era. I mean, every single thing, I don't even know what it is, trap rapping or whatever it is, but the point is the music has changed over the last 20, dramatically. <laughs> 80s music had two forms of music. It was rock bands, and it was uh, 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 the 80s fun, kind of goofy, poppy stuff. Aha, That's if stuff. you were white, but they had well, other stuff too. And R&B. The point is... Oh, oh and just R&B? We yeah. didn't have hip-hop, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, it just oh, started okay. in the 80s. I, I just thought I'd throw it out <laughs> it just there. just started in the 80s. You the notice he only named his two forms of music. Right? You know what? My point is, <laughs> we, we as a business were able to not only adjust to the... We weren't chasing anything. We were just being real to who they were. That's the problem with the internet now. You see oh. something and you try to change it up to follow that and you're too late. If you just right. do what you do, eventually patience in anybody in the room, no matter what you want to do, if you have kids, don't have kids, have a business, side hustle, no matter what it is, patience and showing up are the two things that can take you there. And one, and one more thing, it, learning how to communicate. A lot of people tend to put, and, and I guess it's kind of customary for us to be put into a, a, a category where R&B group mainly because people see black people. Yeah, but as you look in the room, mm -hmm. what do you see? You just don't see black people. You see all types of nationalities and colors and age groups and things of that nature. I think mainly because of the fact that we learned how to communicate. It wasn't just about the music. We knew how to communicate our message through the music. And the music was kind of like the byproduct in the sense of, yes, I really like those songs, but just like Nate mentioned, a lot of people just saw in our videos just us standing there pointing at a camera and things of that nature until they saw us in, in a show. I was like, wow, this was something different. This was something more, more than I expected. So we, with all of those trials and tribulations and us not skipping those steps, we learned how to communicate with everybody. Not just black people, not just white people, but everybody. And I think that's what kept us going. All right. So we are going to.
turn it over to our questions, starting with my sis, Michelle. If you guys will first introduce yourselves Michelle, and then keep your questions as brief as possible so everyone can get a question. And when question you finish, in. can you raise the microphone, stand up a little bit higher because the people behind... No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> it's arranged by height. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. I was like, a low-key like burn. <laughs> I'm just joking, I'm sorry. <laughs> So again, my name is Michelle. Thank you all for coming. Huge fan. Super excited. Virginia. PA. PA. All right. Um, and my question is, could you all tell us your story as to how you all got your name, Boys to Me? Uh, go ahead, Sean. You got it. Uh, Nathan and I were on the phone one day. We had a previous name with, that we will not mention. Sure won't. <laughs> Google it. Yeah, yeah. It's probably on Google. <laughs> um, and uh, while we were talking on the phone, there was a new edition song called Boys to Men that came on the radio while we were talking. And I said, that's our name. Like, that should be our name right there. And Nate was like, I don't know. I don't, he's like, <laughs> well, I don't like it. I don't like well, it. Well, the only reason why I said that, because at that time we weren't Boys to Men and we weren't successful doing anything. So we just did local stuff. And every time we would perform, we did Boys to Men, a new edition song. So it sounded weird. Ladies and gentlemen, Boys to Men singing Can You Stand the Rain. It's like by new edition. It just, it just sounded weird because that's all we did was new edition covers. And now our name is a cover too. So as we, <laughs> as we moved into our career, because it's funny, we, we, when we talked about it, we said, all right, well, well, we'll hang on to it for a little bit. But over the years, we realized that it became a name that was was perfect for us because as Juan always says, you know, no matter how old you get, there's always gonna be a little bit of boy inside you. And for us, our music we feel transcends generations from old to young, boy to man, uh, woman to, you know, girl. So it's one of those things where it just kind of stuck after a while. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sadeja. Same here, huge fan. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, I'm from the Bronx, New York. Yeah, you down. <laughs> Um, I kind of wanted to hear from you, like, you're talking a lot about longevity and communication and brand, and as a boys group, boys to men, you know, just, there's so many groups that we've heard of that have, you know, just not even here anymore. They're gone. And so I want to hear you talk more about, like, what are the values that y'all share that keep you and this bond so tight, despite those, you know, five-minute breakups and <laughs> all of that stuff? Like, what... What has worked for you to keep the partnership strong and alive and empowering? We have we had a better understanding than most of uh, we're better together than we are apart. Um, just like Wanye mentioned, you know, when we broke up, we we kind of got a sense of clarity and was like, you know, this this breaking up is not a good idea. And mainly because also our fans and the people who supported us. Uh, kept us up here. So even when we didn't feel that way, other people felt that way. So again, Nate's mentioned something about service. We felt like it, it was our, our duty. We were servants to people who appreciated what we did. Despite how we felt about each other and ourselves, our own selves, there were people that wanted to see us, that came out time and time again that wanted to uh, sing those songs and live back those those mem live you know those memories again and things of that nature so it boys and men has become bigger than us like the, the music and and what it's become 
is so much bigger than who we are. Again, we just consider ourselves servants and at the end of the day. Th- these songs have done so much for so many people that it's kind of like, okay, well, let's just do it for them, if not for us. And I, I know that uh, we, we, we spoke about the stars aligning, you know, um, for our success. But, um, you know, we we believe that there's only way that stars can align, and that's by the creator, you know what I mean? Um, we actually, you know, the day that we decided to go into and sneak backstage at the, uh, you know, the Motown Philly song, we snuck backstage and met Michael Bivens. You know, we had no money. We had no idea how we were going to get in. And each and every time we wanted something that night, we would stand off to the side and pray. Mm. And it was amazing. And I know that these fellas can attest to it that we didn't have tickets to get in. We prayed somebody gave us got us inside we didn't couldn't get backstage we prayed and somebody came and helped us to get backstage and you know for us to be together right now you know it 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 just a, a testament to the fact that we're supposed to be together right now and it's not for us you know it's is for you know those people who we have a responsibility for those the child that actually uh mother came and said you know we played you know your records for them while they were in a coma and they came out of the coma and they wanted to hear boys to men you know the little kid that's in the front row that is that's 9 years old singing I'll make love to you like why like, <laughs> How are you? Why are you singing that song? You know what I'm saying? But but it's because it's because we've we've created some sort of of of, of non-offensive approach to, to to life and to love. You know what I mean? And, you know, everybody wants their children and their family to to be able to to be a part of something that's non-offensive. And you know, God gave us these songs. You know, we're just vehicles. You know what I mean? And anybody could have sang these songs, and and it would have been great songs. But you know, the way that we feel these songs is is because we know that. They, they were gifts to us, and we have to share that gift with everybody else. So, yeah, the stars align, but God made them align, and that's why we're here. Wow. And I think the human, the human side of the longevity is is which is missing in a lot of things today. Which is, the, I believe, again, there's always there's for the key is the spiritual aspect of who we are and what has brought us together. But being able to stay together is one to be able to, like you said, all the other groups aren't around, and most of the main reasons why they aren't around is because they don't respect the people who they work with. They don't understand them for who they are and are able to live with their imperfections and their their rights and their wrongs. We've learned over years to understand each personality of each guy in this group, and just that's who they are. But we also have the ability that when one guy steps out of line, you know, the other two guys are able to put him back in line. None of us have become so big to the point where none of the other guys can tell you anything that you need to do. And that's what happens with a lot of these groups. You know, they have those side guys that come along and say, yeah, you're bigger than this guy. Yeah, you don't need to be there. And the egos start getting big to where the guys they created the group with, they're like, I don't, I don't really need these dudes. I can do whatever I want. But there, there's a humbling within us that, according to, similar to what Juan is saying, is that not only do... We do it for the audience, but we do it for each other. Like, neither one of us want to let anyone else down with what we are here to do. So when some guy's not doing something right and we kind of put him in check, you know, we have to sit back and think about that because we just don't want to, you know, screw this thing up. We know how important we are to each other. 
And they still have fun, too, by the way. And we constantly do things that are... Juan wanted to record with Tech 9 We got him in with Tech 9 He's a, a junkie for rock music. He recorded with the Foo Fighters. Nate loves Justin Bieber, so we recorded with Justin Bieber. So, no. Now, the point is, we're always doing some, the Geico Bieber. commercial. I'm not even... I'm even just kidding. I'm just kidding. We did they the Geico know, commercial. They know. So, anyway, the thing is, we still have fun. Uh, Twinkle, we good? Twinkle, we good? We good. Okay. Okay, uh, don't shoot the messenger, but we can take one more question. Okay. No pressure. I apologize in advance. Well, if you stand next to her at the mic, it'll be one big okay. question. So then All you right, say then. yours and say yours. What they say goes. Let's do it. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Jess. Um, I was born here in San Jose, so local. Um, you were my first introduction to, like, cool acapella music, so thank you for that. And to go with that, I'm part of Gugapella, which is Google's acapella group, and nice. we've been working on harmonies and Word. blending, and you guys are the, the icons for that. Your music just transcends the beauty that is blending. No. Um, <laughs> you can come to a concert. Uh, so what tricks or tips that do you have that works for blending exercises, aside from being so close and having gone through so much, is there something that works for you as a group, whether it's like breathing or... See, hold on, hold on, we lock that in and we get both yeah. questions in and then we answer them. Go. Yeah. Um, okay, so the question, I'm from Moscow, I'm Natalia, so um, the question is about, um, actually, um, I'll tear my question to that. At the end of the road, those yeah. lyrics, um, can you talk a little bit more like, um, although we've come, to the end of the road, which yeah. is the end of the road right now, right? Oh, yeah. Um, can we, can, is it okay to ask to c come to the end of the road and ask you to see? Oh, see, now you. Oh, see. <laughs> we should have just let you sit down. Yeah, you? See. see what happens when, see what happens when you let the last person in, boy? Oh. <laughs> Nigga wrote, Wanna be a it cowboy. took her a minute to bring it out, too. She was like, yeah. well... She knew she was There's wrong. There's a concert she tonight. Concert tonight. Garfield Park. Well, well, go ahead, Sean. Answer that question first. And then we'll, um, yeah. To answer your question, you know what? We might be the right guys to, to, for that question, but actually the wrong guys, because we're kind of unorthodox. Yeah. Like, our, our, our thing is, we do things a little different. Like, the, the, the whole triad thing... Out the window with us. We never did. We it was always too boring. So it was almost like name. when when we would sing like a three part. Not saying we wouldn't sing those parts. Because it would be, it would start off. Like it would that. start off like that. But then he would go in, add what we call a crack note. You know, because it, it's it, in the cracks. Yeah, like right it, it, it kind of goes with maybe the top, mid, or bottom, but it kind of does a thing like this that kind of goes in tandem with that particular note. Then Nate will add a bass. Then I'll add some weird thing. So it's kind of like, it, if if anything, it you do what you feel. It's a it's a feel about like, and, and I think that's where our style comes from. Yeah. It's not necessarily a structure, but more of a feel. If there, there's a note that we feel like should be in there, we put it in. And Even if it's just like yeah. one half of a bar. Right. Like, we'll, we'll, you know, it'll go and then it'll disappear. Yeah. So that's how we do our thing. And, and, and also, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the recording aspect of it. But if you're, you're actually seeing us or hearing us perform uh, a cappella, um, each part that we sing can actually be a lead sung by itself. Okay. You know what I mean? So if I start at one note, by the end of the song, I could actually end up at a whole nother note in a whole nother register, and he'll end up on a whole nother note at my register, and Sean will be in the middle. You know what I mean? So it creates somewhat of a of a 
uh, I guess you could say somewhat of a, a, a wave. Yeah. And it it, yeah. it does. <laughs> It does. It does something, but the, the the idea and concept is to actually have it move so that the actual melody of the song can stay, but it can move you, and and you don't understand where it's coming from. A lot of people might hear a couple of our arrangements and say, like, how or where, what note is he actually singing? Yeah. And and it, it's just unorthodox. It's all spontaneous. Yeah, actually. and it, it's it's fun. It's fun to do it the way we do it because we know that every. Everybody's scratching their heads, and you know what I mean. That's that's kind of awesome. I'll tell yeah, you, from, there, there you go. No, real quick yeah. on Avery, when they record, one will jump in the studio, record, and then Sean will say, "Hold on, honey," and they'll jump out and jump in and jump out, and they'll say, "That wasn't right." No, that was right. No, do that. And it's fascinating. There's no keyboard. There's no pitch pipe. There's nothing. And that fascinated me when I was first. We recorded with Brian McKnight. And he's the same same style as these guys. And they had a keyboard and everything. And Brian's like, "Plug, take that thing out. We don't need that." And they just find. What makes sense as they go? It's just, it's a fascinating thing to actually see. And if you're musically, you, you get it. Okay, and Sweetheart is All right, waiting Ms. very Moscow. patiently to. All right. Oh, I'll put the mic down now. Yeah. Go ahead, guys. You do your thing. Hello, I might need a little bit more volume, though. But one, two, hey, hi, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. She ain't asked for that. You know how women are. You gotta give a woman what they want. It's early in the day, so we'll, we'll switch it up as a little bit so we save these for the night. But. Hold on, we sing with the mics or not? You, you got one, okay. he doesn't. I, I mean, I wouldn't do it. Oh, sorry, sorry. We got one more question. That's it. Yeah, okay. I almost don't want to ask the question now. I can't. I can't um, Make it good. Uh, okay, so my name is Charles Olivier from Chicago. Um, I recently made the jump over to tech, um, but I started my career in politics with a couple of really cool opportunities, working for Obama in Chicago, uh, working for him in D.C. and Hillary Clinton, um, and I recently made the jump uh, to come to Google uh, after being the CFO of the Democratic National Committee. So my question is, um, as, uh, as black artists, what do you think about, what are your thoughts on artists using their platform to be involved in the political process or encouraging other people to be involved in the political process? I think it's, gra I, I think yeah, it's great, I, mainly because, um, I mean, let's face it, like that's kind of a historical thing. Artists have always done that, from you know, Bob Dylan all the way back to you know, all of these acts back in, in the 60s and things of that nature. Like, artists are the closest thing to people, closer than some politicians. And um, we get our message across conveniently in a way where people, is, is, uh, people are, are willing to listen because it sounds good, has a melody to it, has a guitar to it, and things of that nature. So we're able to put across 
um, our message. I mean, and even, you know, when we were growing up as, as high schoolers, you had guys like Public Enemy and things that, people like that who put their political message in music too, but the, the beats was hot. Um, and even now, Chicago native Chance the Rapper and uh, guys like that who are doing the same thing. And, and I, th I think it's, it's incredible because we have the purest, most honest uh, way of conveying the message because there's no filter. And because we're not politicians, people can be comfortable with our message because they know that there's no ulterior motive behind it and, or whatever. We, we say what's in our heart. We say what we feel, and most of the time, it's the same sentiment that most of us share anyway. The same thing comedians do, and, and things of that nature. We're just the modern day uh, uh, Plato's and Socrates and, and people like that used to say the same thing. So I, I think it's awesome, and I think there are more people that need to do that. And especially now, there's such a volatile time, specifically in this country, uh, that we have to have more artists and more people to express themselves artistically to get the point across where, you know, if, if no one understands the political jargon and vernacular that you might see on CNN or MSNBC. Just sing into the rope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, thank you. I also forgot to tell you, I got a beat down when I was about 10. Nice. Pulling the tape out of the Evolution album, my mom's Evolution. Oh, <laughs> well, we, we probably would have beat you down too. <laughs> yeah, glad she got to you first. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I think I speak for all of us when I say that we love you. Thank we you. support you. We were so fortunate to get to know the men behind the music, and we thank you for that. Let's give it up for Nathan, Sean, Wanye, and Joe. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more amazing content, you can always find us online at youtube.com slash talks at Google or via our Twitter handle at Google Talks. Talk soon.